Welcome to the Dulcimer Geek Podcast. I'm Dan Landrum. And I'm a very tired and sleepy Aaron O'Rourke. <laughs> Boy, that's the truth. It makes two of us. So it's, uh, we've seen sunrise together this morning, Aaron. Yeah, it sounds romantic. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> wow. So we are driving, uh, we're on Interstate 75, safely, don't worry, looking at the road, recording a podcast to help us stay awake, help us be alert, as uh, we're headed back from a really cool several days down in Florida, Stinks, thanks, Stinks. <laughs> wow. It's a really good idea, recording a podcast when you're, when you're going on just like a few hours of sleep. Yeah, well, for some people. (laughs) (laughs) So thanks to Steve Phillips, who's an old friend who booked us for several gigs. We did, uh, we won't bore you with too much information, just that we did a Celtic Christmas concert at Steve's church. More on that in just a little bit. Uh, First Presbyterian in Sarasota. We did a couple of school concerts at a magnet school within a magnet school, which which was really cool. And then last night, we played at, uh, they call it Fogartyville, and it has a, a radio station attached to it, and it's also in Sarasota. Yeah. And that was, that was all neat. So uh, we kind of want to debrief about that stuff a little bit, which I think on the surface, if I just heard somebody say they're going to talk about their concert, it would be like somebody saying they were going to tell me their dream, which we pretend like that's interesting, but it becomes not interesting quickly. Often, yeah, 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 I agree. Unless you're somebody's telling you something that really makes you think they're psycho, and you know, then you kind of want them to keep talking so you well, can determine. What is it you said? You've got forty seconds, right, before people start to turn off. Yeah, so I just finished this book okay. by Celeste Headley, and it says in a conversation, you've got forty seconds before people start to shut, to be unable to really listen to what it is you're talking about. Hmm. Uh, so we'll try to keep that in mind as we talk for an hour and if a half. If they're not able to speak, right? If they're not able to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So feel free to interrupt us at any point, <laughs> listeners. I suspect that's going to happen between us. I hope We're, so. Yeah. So Aaron and I, uh, we do pretty well on the road. I mean, we get a little punchy after a while, right? Uh, punchy oh. like... Punchy, like just like, a moment ago, I reached over as you were trying to get the iPad set, and I started to touch something, and he kind of looked at me with the stink eye and said, "Did you know what I was about to say?" <laughs> that whole thing sounded weird. What <laughs> 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 you just said sounded super creepy. Really? And weird. What part? Yeah. So, uh, what he reached over to touch was the iPad. That's what I said, didn't I? <laughs> oh, really? Okay, so it had to do with the, this recording thing. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> It really doesn't matter. <laughs> well, that's how we're recording this. As we go down the highway and yeah. have our Starbucks refreshments from just a few yeah. minutes ago. Yeah, I think I said something like, that's interesting. And you said, well, that's because you don't have it zoomed. And I was, that's when I was like, did you know what I was about to say? <laughs> you're like, no. <laughs> yeah. So, honestly, that's one of the things I appreciate about, appreciate about Aaron is... Uh, He's he's comfortable <laughs> being himself. Okay, so <clears throat> let's go back. Let's go back a couple of days ago. We got here on Wednesday night. Yeah. First, 
drove twelve hours and immediately yeah. went into a rehearsal. You can't just trust what that what that navigation tells you because it said it was nine hours and it was a nine something nine and change, and we our intent was to leave about six thirty, and then of course, just as I was about to text Aaron at about six forty five, he texts me or maybe 6.30, and he says, can you make it 6.45? And I said, let's make it 7. You know, and then by the time I got the car loaded, I'm picking him up at 7.05, Yeah, maybe. And then by the time we get his loaded, it's 7.15 by the time we're on the road. And and then we have to find... Didn't we find a place to get coffee? Yeah, well, it, it was, in a nutshell, it was about 12 hours, and then immediately a rehearsal. Uh, yeah, well, my point is, get, yeah. wow, that's a, that was a tough day. Long it drive, was, yeah. and we got caught in Atlanta traffic because it was a weekday. We got caught in Pensacola traffic or something. I don't know. Lots of traffic. No, we did. We didn't go anywhere near Pensacola. Yeah, see, you almost drove us to Pensacola, which would have sucked. Me. Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, we we pull up. The rehearsal starts at six thirty in the evening. We pulled in at about six forty-five. Would you say? Yeah, six forty-five, six fifty. So, yeah, it was a busy day. And then immediately we're in a rehearsal for a close to a two-hour program. Yeah. And we play on almost every song yep. <laughs> on it. And some of it was the first time we'd really, well, we, had, we hadn't heard the you know all the other stuff. So um, kudos to Steve Phillips, who's the guy who arranged the whole thing because he, he made everybody work. And we that rehearsal ended close to 1030 right that yeah. evening uh, yeah but at the end of that we sort of had what we wanted I mean we sort of knew what we wanted to do on each song but probably mm-hmm. hadn't memorized it all yet yeah uh, and then we had another rehearsal the next night which was a little bit shorter but added yeah. the choir yeah it was good and then we rehearsed this was also with the choir just a little bit before the Friday night uh, presentation Try not to say performance because it's at a church. They don't like it when you say use the word stage or performance. <laughs> well, yeah, it wasn't Generally. that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, though we each had solo pieces in there, and that was cool. And it was neat to be at a church that actually claps and stuff. Oh yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. Well, so that was fun. But <laughs> the program went well. I have to say, with with regard to uh, our buddy uh, Stephen Phillips, who is the the music director right for this church i felt like he was really good knowing that um that wednesday rehearsal when we first rolled up it wasn't it it wasn't anywhere near uh performable the the program uh and i feel like he's he's really good at having i think i think he has high expectations, but he's also he knows what to reasonably expect from people, and I felt like he knew just the right amount to push everyone. Uh, it's a big deal, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I feel that's I mean that's a good quality in uh, any band director or human. any kind of. <laughs> well, no, n- not all human beings need to have that skill. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't say how it could hurt them, but <laughs> uh, I don't think it would. It hurts people necessarily. It's just um, less of a requirement, I suppose. 
when you don't really need the people who are working for you to be on your side. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. But he, he does a great job of pulling it all together. Yeah. Because if you... If you're overly perfectionistic on the first night of something like that, and this goes with whether you're practicing a song by yourself or whatever, mm-hmm. you may never get to the the best you can be. Right. Because you're too uptight about it. So, yay, Steve. Uh, well, I was really I was really looking forward to after that drive and that rehearsal to sleeping in the next day, which didn't happen because nope. we had a. Uh, that's when we went to the middle school. Yep. And. That ended up being a lot of fun. Uh, like I told you, that's not the kind of thing that I would usually agree to doing. Yeah, so so yeah. the way... <laughs> funny side story. We get to the place that we're staying, which is really a nice... It's, it's basically an apartment in yeah. Bradenton, outside of Sarasota. Uh, because, by the way, if you come down there, really expensive to stay in hotels. Yeah. Like average prices in the $200 range. So... Uh, Steve was able to get this thing set up for us. It was really nice. But it only had one bed, and then it had a fold-out couch. And I had just said, uh, okay, let's flip a coin to see who gets the, the fold-out couch versus the bed. And Aaron had a proposal. What was it? Do you remember? You said, oh, yeah, that's right. I was like, if you do most of the talking in, this, in the school program in the tomorrow, school. I'll sleep on the couch. Ca- I'll take the couch. <laughs> <laughs> and you can take the bed. Yeah, and that it's fine for me. Yeah, that worked out. I actually for me like too. middle. I, I like that. I like school programs in general. I think they're fun. You know, I I think there's a um, like I told you before because I at the risk of uh, coming off as overly concerned with how I'm coming off, <laughs> uh, I see the value in doing that, and I think it's good. And I felt like there was a it was a big win when this when this one kid asked, so where can I get one of these instruments? Mm. Like when, and I was like, okay, I feel like I just accomplished something good. Um, having said that, I'm not comfortable with that, uh, and I, I I'm not comfortable in that setting. I don't feel like I'm good at it. I, when I was it, starting from the time I was a little kid, and it and it really peaked in middle school. I was super judgmental of other kids. It's so I was just thinking the same thing. The kids probably don't think you're any good at it either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't blame them. Well, I mean, regardless of what you do, because they're middle yeah. schoolers. But it's a challenge to try to get them, you know? Yeah. To feel like, and you know when you've got them. When they're kind of on you. You know, they're paying attention. They're listening. And My psychic skills are not up to par. Well, they're paying attention and they're not hitting each other or you. <laughs> not talking constantly. And, and that's the kind of low expectations <laughs> <laughs> we can that meet. I'm afraid of. <laughs> yeah. So it worked really well. Um, they're sizing you up, you know, before the whole thing starts. And I don't know. It just it works out. I like it. I like my general belief is that if you love kids, they love you. You know, if they can tell that you sincerely want to hear it is what they have to say, you're still the authority figure because you can't let it get out of control. But you're really listening to them. It works out. Yeah, I'm uncomfortable painting people with a broad brush like that. Do uh, people want to be loved? R- r- no, that if you love them, they love you. Well, These are still people. It's no guarantee. Right. 
Yeah. But if I I just think that's a good default position to start from. I think if I say that about any group, any specific group of people, I think you would call BS on it. And so I'm doing that as a friend. I'm doing that for you. I'm talking about a specific group of people. Yeah, I know. I'm talking about kids. Yeah, I know. That are in a situation where they get... That are in middle school. Well, they're in... (laughs) Seriously. I mean, they get told all the time that this is the worst time ever. (laughs) This is... Oh, you have to teach middle school? Oh, I feel so sorry for you. I'm praying for you. And and that... uh, why can't you just sit still? I just think that they want somebody to take them seriously in general, which in general isn't good. So, Yeah. And I have to say, the, the kids at the school, were, I thought they were super cool. And they asked great questions. They did? Yeah, I love talking to them. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really cool place. And the, the faculty at the school just seemed really great. Like, they've got a good thing going. Mm-hmm. And there's these kids are doing really cool stuff at this school. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm reluctant to want to... Uh, well, we don't really need to talk about it anymore. Well, it just doesn't... But, yeah. It doesn't hurt to go in having a plan for success, even if it's going to fail. I think if you go in sometimes without at least an idea, yeah, uh, and hopeful, <laughs> yeah. So I honestly, I've done a lot of school programs in my many years of doing this. Yeah, they've all gone oh, pretty well. That's good for the most part. I, I don't. There's maybe I'm blocking it, but nothing yeah. really sticks out as just being a train wreck. All right. So here's this thing that traumatized me a little bit. Okay. When I before I was teaching. Uh, Workshops in, in the dulcimer world. I taught uh, at this after school program. I taught dulcimer class and I taught string band class. I was 17 when I started doing that. Yeah. Did not have a clue what I was doing. And I remember um, the day after I graduated high school, I was in charge of like 50 kids at the Florida Folk Festival and I wanted an adult. <laughs> it's like. I should not be left alone with all of these kids among 30,000 people <laughs> yeah. at a folk festival, and it freaked me out. The night after graduating <laughs> uh, high school, and I was going on two hours of sleep, naturally. Um, but I'll always remember, part of teaching that program, uh, I, there, was this, there was this moment um, where I thought class was going great, the director of uh, the school just happened to walk in when this kid raised his hand, and, um, and I guess this was around 2004. Keep in mind, there was an election going on. Yeah. Um, this kid raises his hand out of nowhere. Never heard anything like this in this class. And he goes, "Mr. Aaron, is it true John Kerry wants people to have abortions?" Oh no. Yeah, and. I just like my mouth my jaw just kind of dropped and the director goes um no we are not talking about this and kind of took over I was really grateful for yeah. that because I I was petrified like uh yeah but now you know you also know if you were in that situation you're a little older you'd probably yeah. you'd say the same thing it's like no nope, that's not what we're talking about now I'm afraid I would say something horrible now like, well, let's work on that. I, I would just hope that the filter <laughs> kicks in like yeah. fast enough. Yeah. Like, uh, wow. 
but e- either way, yeah, I, I don't think I would handle it the same way. I, I, I don't think it would make me as nervous now. But walking into a room full of kids, I have this feeling in my stomach like I'm not going to they're going to say something weird and I'm not going to know what to say. Oh, that's interesting. But I, it, it also yeah. goes back to, like I said, I've told you stories about childhood and how I was. Yeah, I always felt weird around kids my own age. I bet once and, you get a bunch of these under your belt, should you choose to do that, mm-hmm. that that'll go away. Because they are going to say unpredictable things. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, now being That's around half the kids, fun of it. like, yeah, I, I, I find that, well, I love it whenever Nikki comes home with these stories of you know, stuff kids have said to her throughout the yeah. day. Yeah. So anyway, that that went well. Yeah. I think that was that was good for them, good for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did help alleviate some of my terror. Yeah. I will say. So then the next thing uh, we were on, excuse me the next thing we're on to was you know another rehearsal and then getting ready for the Friday night uh, gig for the Celtic Christmas uh, quite a few interesting things with that but I, I think one of my favorite moments was seeing the the pastor of the church come back and grab Steve and it looked like he was really intense he wasn't smiling and he pulled Steve over to the side and I saw them having kind of a close talk which I found out later was the pastor going, we don't know what to do. We've never had this many people here. Yeah. <laughs> can we, he said, so uh, can we set chairs in the aisle? <laughs> yeah. Which besides the fire marshal, not thinking that's cool. They also had choir coming up the aisle and dancers coming up yeah. the aisle. So uh, it was a pretty elaborate production. It was yeah. large puppets. Mm multimedia stuff happening on the walls and things yeah it was it was very cool and it it was it was huge i mean it was a huge success so yeah we're, we're probably going to be going back to uh florida in a year or two and doing something similar yeah. so before that that concert though yeah. we did a uh we had a radio interview oh that's right yeah <laughs> now come on what well, i'm just wondering where you're going with this oh I thought we were just doing a full-on recap of everything. Yeah. Well, mostly the interesting parts, if they are interesting to someone else, which meant that, of course, in our radio interview, Aaron brings up the <laughs> subject of racism and dulcimers. <laughs> no, whoa. Okay. <laughs> that makes it sound way worse. I was afraid you were going to blame it on me, and I'd rather just blame it on you and let you talk it back. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Uh, Somehow, I can't remember how this came up, but uh, um, the subject of, as we've talked about on this podcast before, of the, the uh, WNYC yeah, the on w- the media. WNYC on the media podcast that had a clip of um, our dear friend Steve Seifert's playing <laughs> after a white supremacist associated the Mountain Dulcimer with uh, <laughs> exclusively... Uh, American white culture, right? Which was just, it, like I said, uh, in this most recent radio interview, there's, there's, I can't think of anything else that has given me such a knot in my stomach <laughs> and made me laugh so hard at the same time. It was so like so uncomfortable. Such an odd combination of wanting to cry and yeah. laugh at the same time. So uncomfortable. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that came up in the, in the interview, <laughs> and then the great part of that was um, that you followed up with the story of Henry Ford 
yeah. uh, and the hammer dulcimer. So it kind of came into like this, well, who has the more racist block of wood with strings on it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which makes no sense. But no. it the reason it was appropriate for this interview is this is a uh, community radio station that is involved in activism. I mean, it's the only straight way to say it. They, yeah. They just have a lot of a lot of programs, a lot of community programs going on and giving out turkeys to, you know, low income folks and having people from multiple, you know, ethnicities and cultural and religious backgrounds do programs at this place where we ended up doing the concert on Saturday night. Yeah. Uh which if any of my Signal Mountain friends happened to be listening was so inspiring to see how they use a small space on a regular ba- on a regular basis to bring people through. It reminds me of, you know, what could be with our Mountain Arts Community Center and the old grammar school. I would like yeah. to see more more venues like this pop yeah. up. Yeah. So uh, to yeah. tell you a bit about the venue, it's the radio station is attached to it. It was, it's on property that in 2008 was pretty low, uh, you know, undervalued or had had very little value, even before the the stock market crash took place. So I don't know if you heard this whole story. Yeah, uh, that they they rented it and then they made an offer to buy it right after the stock market crash and make a long story short they ended up taking it and of course now nine years later (laughs) there's the largest condominium complex in the Pensacola area taking up Sarasota area taking up a full square block overlooking this place right next to it that's being built and it's all gentrified all around it and so they put this community center, concert center, community help, you know, just place right in the middle of where it was needed, and then it all gentrifies around them. Mm-hmm. So it, for I think it creates a an interesting problem. Is I don't know if this is the right word, but so the people they were intending to help for the most part have been moved out of the neighborhood. Because the property values have gone up so much. Right. Or in the process of that. But now they've got this concert venue there, which has a ready-made audience all around them. So they will probably be successful, uh, continue to be successful as a venue because there's such an audience there who can come see the shows that and things that are going on. And it's in this is a, a tangent a little bit, but I read in the last year or so this book called uh, Effect. Is it called? Uh, doing, doing good better. Yeah, yeah. Uh, subtitle is something about effective altruism, and it's interesting because I could see some folks within that saying, you know, it's not like it's like we're not serving the community because they can't walk here anymore, but they also might bring in more money so they can serve the community better in another way. Yeah. So who knows? It's a strange world of community activism, I guess. Yeah. So, anyway, the venue itself is probably, can you think of something that would be common everybody could, if you go to a Dollar General store, 
about that square footage. How's that? Does that yeah, work? Yeah, but not the vibe of a Dollar General store. No, no, no. By no. any means. Yeah. The building they bought, he said, was kind of a, a termite-infested shell of a building that they got permission from the city basically just to do steel reinforcement all on the inside and put up steel beams and then do one of those spray insulation uh, uh, treatments on the on the inside of the roof line. So it has a vaulted ceiling in it. They put a stage at one end, a little bitty bar area, not a kitchen area, with small round tables and a bunch of, you know, seats. So it seats yeah. about 100. And then it's Florida. So they can open up the doors in the winter to let people sit outside if they want to. Yeah. Uh, but because they put in a small stage, probably a 10 by 15 stage or something like that, it put in permanent lighting for it. They're in this unique situation down there where they're a not a big enough market that they're going to be able to book big acts into. Mm-hmm. And we learned a lot from talking to David uh, ben- Bennett. Yeah. Last night, who's the guy who books the place? That there, there are these uh, seating capacity restrictions for artists that have representation often. Yeah. And once you get representation, they want you to be in venues that seat about 300 or more. Right. Which is interesting. So they seat around 100. And so they get people like before they get big or right as they're getting big. Margot Price is an example that uh, who's touring with John Prine right now. So we were using her as an example last night. He said they couldn't couldn't have her there now because she's too popular but they had her before she got booked with john prine right and they couldn't have a john prine there because he has representation and he's too big right uh and another thing i'm, I'm hitting a lot of points but another thing i learned from him last night he said the singer songwriter scene is really changing uh, you're not speeding are you There's i'm going crop. 76 miles an hour good job yeah so, uh, uh, that was interesting. Uh, my gold standard in singer songwriters, it's not everybody's cup of tea, is I like David Wilcox, I like Peter Mayer, I like uh, L.J. Booth, you know, folks along those lines. And he said, uh, believe it or not, he said a David Wilcox isn't able to fill that space. Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Isn't that strange? Yeah. Uh, because he's seeing that the singer songwriter wave is ebbing a bit for the younger bands along the lines of the Avett brothers, but of course, you know, they're too big now. Right. So he said they're in an interesting spot because Florida is just this long place, you know, and people will want to go down and sing. What's it? The Parrot down in the Keys, that super popular place for Americana and roots and blues. It's the something Parrot down there. I'm sure Bing knows if you're listening, Bing, tell me what it is. (laughs) Uh, But anyway... He said, so they'll only get people that are between there and, you know, that are also doing Miami then going up and doing Orlando. Right. So they're a place in between one and another. Uh, but it's just it's just a beautiful little venue, and people came to listen. So that venue, like I said, it really reminded me. It gave me some nostalgia uh, back to my punk days um, playing in the playing in the that playing bass in that band it really kind of had that vibe of a lot of the venues that i played at except everyone was sitting down when we played as opposed to standing up 
and, yeah. and hitting each other. Yeah, yeah, you didn't. No one threw anything at us. Yeah, that was great. I've never had anything thrown at me, except for a kid being physically picked up and thrown like at launched the stage. out of the mosh pit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I've ever had thrown. Boy, that'd be tough but, uh, on a hammer dulcimer. <laughs> <laughs> on the instrument and the kid. Yeah. You don't see a lot of hammer dulcimers in punk bands, except in Germany. Really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, there's some scream some scream bands that Yeah. That's well cr- yeah, I think actually Joshua Messick did a session for a German metal band yeah. recently. Yeah, yeah, I believe that. That's cool. That's, huh. So can we talk about <clears throat> about the the venue in terms of what a venue like that brings to you as an artist? So in terms of talking, we were, uh, well, I felt a bit more loose. Yeah, that was true. That's because I felt like that can be good and that can be bad. Yeah. Because you try out, look, if anybody sees me perform, I can't speak for Aaron, but I don't think I have this figured out. It's I'm experimenting it's all the time. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, so I don't think there is a having it figured out. I mean, right? I think it's just like playing music, presenting it as its own art that right. you can get better at. Yeah. So I've tried some things recently that are very different from what I've tried in the past. Some work, some don't. Uh, yeah, but so it's the thing a, that you tried specifically. Are you talking about the uh, talking about epistemic method? Yeah, I was trying to avoid talking about epistemic method. Why? <laughs> I don't know, because I'm not sure it works. It's something I really believe is important. All right. So on stage... Wow, here we go. <laughs> here we go. But I'm, I'm comfortable saying I don't want to talk about this anymore if we get to a place, but go ahead. Okay, that's that's good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... I thought we talked about this. What, are you a middle schooler? Back in White Springs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I can't follow that up. No, don't do it. Don't do it. Because, yeah. Yeah, here I was about to make the case that we shouldn't filter ourselves too much. And now you're going to filter. I just proved myself wrong there. Uh, (laughs) No, so I thought we talked about this on the podcast before, after White Springs, the the thing that we did. I mostly avoided that. In oh, that really? conversation, yeah. Yeah. Well we talked we talked about activism yep, a did. little bit. Yep. And I think um well would you say that uh talking about epistemic method on stage is a form of activism? An activist being activist being an activist for reason? Yeah. Because it I guess, but it's not like a cause that anybody is can say they're against. <laughs> I think we found an audience that did. <laughs> That's possible. I disagree. A wee bit. That's uh, because a bit. The, the fact that you, you could say, I want to believe as many true things as possible and as few false things as possible. And for someone to take that as a political statement, I think says something. Uh, About our time. About yeah. our time, yeah. That's this. That sh- it doesn't seem like that's commentary on the right or the left. It's not. It's it's not saying anything about healthcare, taxation, it, anything. Um, uh, it's just stating that 
you want to believe as many true things as possible. And as few false things as possible. And yeah. some methods of getting to that mm-hmm. might be better than other methods. Yeah. That's kind of the core of what makes me interested in reading more about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I tried to do that while avoiding the word philosophy because philosophy makes people think of, you know, suede jackets with leather elbow patches, you know, and people droning on about historical yeah, you know, things. Yeah. And that's not what this is about at all. This mm-hmm. is about just basic. It's, it's my belief. Oh, here I go. That we're at a time where we need a rebirth of reason, regardless of where you find yourself on what would be considered the spectrum of liberal to conservative or progressive to conservative. On all sides, those are legit. I think there's legitimate. Um, there's a legitimate ground to be held for the overriding ideologies. Right. Seriously, but. On either end or even in the middle of the spectrum, if you aren't believing true things to support where you are Mm -hmm. within that, then you're making it worse, not making it better for yourself and for the other side and for the human condition in general. What's that got to do with music? (laughs) Well, if you present that in a musical way, then it does. This goes back to... I think I told you I heard a a comedian talking about um, uh, kind of riffing on a, on another comedian who he said got up and just started preaching, um, uh, spouting opinions on a specific political figure who he just hated, and he said it bugged him not that he was saying not that he was talking about a, a specific politician in a positive or negative light. But that he just got on stage and uh, he wasn't trying to make a joke about it, being a comedian. And so I think if you wrap that up in something musical, um, that's different. Sure. Uh, Presenting it as part of your art than um, spoken word. I agree. And I think in particular if you had someone who gets on stage... We talked about this prior to the podcast, and it's that when there's negative connotation that's not necessarily supported, or maybe you don't have time to support it even, maybe it's legitimate negative, it's negative, Mm -hmm. but just getting up and saying, man, that politician, we hate him, don't we? Or or, she's a real idiot, isn't she? You know, just that person. And then the joke... I, I go back to this all the time because I think C.S. Lewis had it right in Screwtape Letters when he talks about the joke proper. Flippancy, the joke proper, and then I don't remember what his official term is for the third one. Uh, flip, flippancy is slapstick comedy. It's funny. Okay. You know, it, it's something can just be funny because it's a quick turn of something. Then there's the joke proper where you set up a joke and you tell a story and you lead people along a path and then there's some twist at the end. But then there's the one which I think is I like the least where the joke is just that everybody thinks this other thing is stupid and somebody says the word. That's what I don't like about a lot of bad language, actually, when comedians just just throw in. When that's the thing yeah. that gets the laugh. And that's yeah. the thing that gets the laugh. Yeah. I just don't, I don't care for that. I never have liked that. 
Oh. I'm not opposed to bad language at all. I just, I don't like cheap applause in general. Exactly. And I feel like, yeah, just using, dropping an F-bomb to Or people to go, who here applause. likes beer? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you applaud for that? It's, so your preference in beverages includes fermented grains? Yay! <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand that. Uh, I don't. Maybe if you're at a beer fest, then that's super cheap applause. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the, the lowest hanging fruit. That is fruit. the worst of the worst. <laughs> well, yeah. I hope all of you, because you paid to get in uh, for this. So, uh, anyway, uh, where were we going with that? I, I don't know where you were going with that. You were talking about connotation and how C.S. Lewis had it right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so to get up and just say, to, to cut down a politician or an artist or a genre or a culture or any of that kind of stuff, that I, just, I don't ever want to do that. Yeah. To, but, you know, so at the, at the beginning of this concert, Aaron, the uh, David said, you know, we've had artists... You know, and he was kind of talking about like you, you guys who are instrumentalists who you know, have a lot of stuff, and either one of us could have played for two hours by ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, just done stuff. We were asking him, which I think, by the way, musicians is a good idea to do, because going in, Aaron and I were were thinking what we would rather do is maybe an hour and a half set, and we had sort of structured it, but we had also heard that. What they probably want is two forty-five minute sets, right? And which, by the way, is an hour and a half, right? Well, but, we were—I thought we were going to shoot for an hour and fifteen to an hour and twenty, and then do a. Uh, and if we did two sets, plan for a forty-five minute set, and then a shorter thirty-minute set for the second one, right? So yeah. some combination thereof. But yeah. he said specifically. Because they need to have drink sales and food sales. Right. They really need the break. And he said, plus, you've got an older audience and people have to go to the bathroom. We know all that stuff. There is this concern sometimes of taking a break and maybe losing some audience a little bit. Yeah. And so we asked him at the beginning, what makes a good set here? And he said, you know, instrumentalist, he said, just make sure you talk because people want to get to know, you know, they want to know a little bit about you. They want to kind of, and I, we've, written about this and talked about this on podcasts that that's all part of doing a, mm-hmm. a set as well maybe <laughs> unless you're an unlikable person yeah uh, which you are to somebody for sure uh, so in the course of that this is just something that really interests me and I, it sounds like I'm defending now and I don't want to be in that position I've tried to well, you did some pretty messed up stuff on stage last night. Oh, I Dan. did not. No, no, I'm kidding. In in defense of uh, in defense, while not defending, of just the whole Socratic thing as being something that I'm really interested in, I am trying ways to express that in musical, uh-huh. in a musical fashion. Like specifically, yeah. doesn't mean it always works. So that's why it's one cool thing about being away from your core audience, which for us, for the most part, is a dulcimer audience, Yeah, is to get to try to do things in different ways. So yeah. my interpretive dance last night, it just wasn't, you know. It fell a little flat. It fell, well, I fell a little flat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I didn't really do an interpretive dance last night. <laughs> uh 
<laughs> you ever see a beached whale and want to rescue it? <laughs> Just push it back in the yeah, water. <laughs> looks like he's got a lot of moss stuck on him. <laughs> so, no, actually, the concert went really well. And uh, uh, one of the promoters said at the end, they have a lot of people who, who will come in, in particular if it's artists they don't know, to sort of want to see what they're about and watch them for a little while and, you know, then maybe leave. But I don't think we lost anybody. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think we lost anybody. And she said, uh, you guys could have kept on playing. And we ended up going, we probably played too long, I think. Yeah. Concert we, started at 8 and it was like 10. I think, yeah. I think some of the talking maybe went a little bit long and that added... It could be, though I asked David, and you know the guy who the main guy for the show, and he said, no, uh-huh. he said, maybe just a touch. He said, but there were good stories. And by the way, I should mention, he, he, he said stories, you know, people, uh-huh. people want story. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, can we talk about the other suggestions he had for us? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's, I mean, are you done on potentially beating me up or trying to make me uncomfortable? I was not trying to beat you up at all. No, okay. I, I don't think this is something you should shy away from. Okay. I'm, I mean, I'm on the fence about that. If you're actively, I mean, trying to put thought into musically communicating something that, that you're passionate about, then I think you should keep working all, all on right, it. Alright, so, okay. This is a podcast and people are listening to this because they want to. So it's you are not a captive audience. If you're not interested in this, you can listen to something else right now. So here's the basic. Here's the here's what I've done twice. Uh huh. Is that okay? Are we okay to go here? I think it's perfectly okay to talk about music on this podcast and Come how on. it's presented. Yeah. On so. Bill so at I think, White- that, I think that's more relevant than some other stuff that we talk about. Oh, absolutely. So hardly yeah. anything we talk about is relevant. Yeah. Oh. Uh, in White Springs, I had wanted to try this thing. I have become aware. It's become apparent. I could be wrong, but it's become apparent to me that when you say the words epistemic method, most people don't know what you what that even means. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think I knew what it meant, you know, once upon a time. It's just not a common word. And so I think it ought to be common because it's really important. An epistemic method is how you come to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible. And the basic, my basic premise in this whole thing is some methods are better than others. And so, therefore, a lot of our time, if we want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible, should be spent in examining our own epistemic. We right. should be figuring out if we're doing a good job of it. Mm-hmm. And saying, is there a better way to do it? So that's just the premise. One very important epistemic method in the history of humanity was the Socratic method. Okay? And the Socratic method is a simple five-step process. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but the first step is the statement of wonder. Like, I wonder if this is true. The second is to second step is to put it into a hypothesis. It's where you sort of say, I'm going to take a chance on saying this is true and you form a logical construct, and so you state it. The third is called the alinkus. It's the discussion phase where you take it to friends and you, you talk about it and you have conversations about it. So imagine using the Socratic method to discuss the Socratic method, you know, to discuss epistemic. So it's four. So number four yeah. 
is important. That's falsification. So that falsification step is not about proving that you're right. It's about trying to prove that you're wrong. Because in this method, in the Socratic method, that's way more important than what you might think step five is, which is like, which well, is posted on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah. <laughs> step five is not, hey, I'm right. Step five is we haven't been able to falsify this, my statement. So therefore, I might be right, mm-hmm. but I might be wrong. So you're always open to saying, I haven't been proven wrong yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. So at White Springs, we're back to music again. You're wondering how. I, uh, it was the first, I guess I debuted there. This, this musical piece I think we did that there that's in 5-4 yeah. which I'm calling the Socratic method and uh, forgive me for being just like I really like something that I've done but I think that's okay to do every now and then I really like this piece oh yeah the 5-4 piece it's yeah. awesome it's, yeah, just, it's well, really cool that makes me almost want to cry Aaron. but when you write something that you know often when I write something it's interesting, and that's why I go ahead and say, okay, so this is a song and get a story behind it. This is a melody that's just sticking in my head, and I love mm-hmm. it. And it's written in 5-4, and, it, and I worked hard at it. It's kind of difficult, so there's all and, sorts of reasons. And uh, you know, yeah. to, Just to elaborate on that a little bit, um, uh, this piece, I hear the melody at, as um, much of the melody anyway as a pattern of like a... One two three four five six one two three four one two three four five six one two three four and yeah. when we were working on this, you said that you you really wanted the chords to change after one two three four five one two three four five one two three four five yeah. on those ones counting in fives. So at first, I wasn't really sure how I felt about it, how it kind of rubbed against the melody, and um, but I think that plays into, I guess, how I uh, come to like a lot of my favorite pieces of music that stick with me for long periods of time is at first I'm not really sure how to feel about them oh, and that piece really falls into that category for that's me cool. at first I wasn't really sure but ones that kind of felt like really uh, really felt that awkward you know pull against it it's it's kind of it's its own unique groove um, yeah but it's a larger groove yeah it's a longer groove which is a there's a whole. We got to do a whole podcast about that subject, mm-hmm. about feeling long grooves. I think it helps with timing in general. Yeah, but wasn't so anyway, something that feels natural to begin with? It's like what you're talking about. At, at first, you want to do something else with it because we tend to think in fours. So, uh, played it at White Springs, and that was all cool. <clears throat> but I'm still not quite sure how to shorten. <clears throat> excuse me, how to shorten the intro for it. <clears throat> Which is, this is about the Socratic method. So I decided to, uh, I'm all excited about this drum that I'm playing this A-frame recently. I decided to, <laughs> I got excited the day before the concert in White Springs and wrote a spoken word piece in five. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried to do that? No. So no. I can't, I, it takes two hands to do it well, but. Uh, and I'm holding a microphone, but it's da 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 da. Wait, it's da 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 da. I even messed it up there. Try to play and hold the mic, and 
And, and who's then, driving? And then driving my knee. Driving with my knee. Driving with my knee. And then <laughs> we're in a Tesla right now. <laughs> we're to, yeah, we're living the dulcimer life. <laughs> so yeah, we're not yeah. actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. We're in a Chevy something. Yeah, I drove my Chevy to the levee. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, I wrote words to go with it and found it really difficult to drum in five and do words as well to the point that it took so much concentration it made me sweat and I had to separate the words I mean I had to put a little space in between the verses so anyway I wrote this thing that in in five verse lines in five four it explained the Socratic method Mm -hmm. Uh, and it ended with basically the fifth step the first one I can tell you real quick is uh one, the statement of wonder appears, not totally sure, but maybe so. So if you count that, that's in five. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just a bunch of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and I tried it. I tried it at White Springs, and and I mentioned to the audience, uh, you know, don't we all want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible? And in my mind, that's going to get a bunch of people going, absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's that's an example of something where... I think I would probably go, you might want to avoid the cheap applause, Dan, until I saw that reaction. <laughs> uh, that was not cheap applause. That was uh, no. that was not <laughs> applause at all. I mean, there were a few people who were like, wait a second, where are you coming from? Like, is this about that meme I shared? Yeah, well, yeah. I think we all feel that right now. We're living at this time where... We're, we just don't trust much. Mm-hmm. And if you think about those words, I want to believe as many true things and as few false things as possible, it's really hard to disagree with that, I think, if you really think about it. But I think when people hear something that sounds like an ideological statement, yeah, we're going to be really careful about agreeing with an ideology. Because yeah. it could be against ours, and cognitive mm-hmm. dissonance doesn't allow those two things to exist at one time. Well, yeah, we've we've talked about this before a little bit, and um, I think that there's something too. Um, if you can bring people into that idea by first showing how your uh, how you've experienced. Um, believing yeah. something that was false, like a beam that on the seems internet, seems like a, a absurd. Yeah, um, or something that you've fallen for, but how you don't apply this, how you've learned from this, but you don't apply that same standard to something else. You can even say that sarcastically, like, um, it's so it's so easy to be fooled right now. Yeah, it, it really is. But I think if you kind of let people in, like you're a part of this group of people that like you can all be in on the joke together is what I'm saying. You yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. As well as the audience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And Instead of like, uh, unless you think yeah. Aaron is talking to you right now, <laughs> I recognize that he's talking to me and he's right. Uh, and, but that's the whole thing of trying to hone your, your art. Yeah, you know, to make it all work together, and so you try something, and then sometimes you have to try it, and then listen back to even hear what it is you should do differently. Yeah, yeah, I think um, 
uh, I've even heard comedians talk about this on a podcast that they have to, uh, in terms of performance, they said, you know, like you can write music, you can, you can create art, um, in a bubble or you can do it in total isolation and it's still art. But as far as comedy, writing comedy goes, it's really dependent on the reaction of an audience. And they, they talked about how they, uh, some big comedians will purposefully do these small little dives, like just show up unannounced. And, but because they have a name, they can get on stage and Mm. they just, that's where they tweak some of their material before they do a big special for HBO or Netflix or something like that. But I feel like that's, that's the equivalent of like our, our talking bits. Um, especially sometimes I mean we can sort of have an idea of what we're going to say and then once we get on stage if it's something if we're introducing a new song or if it's a new subject matter because we're not really writing speeches we generally don't know word for word exactly what we're going to say we're just going to touch on you know this this kind of area you're on stage though depending on the setting that you're in um, how familiar you are with this audience or um, yeah or how familiar they are with you yeah uh, um you can i mean suddenly you can find i mean you've just totally blown what you're saying or uh you've jumped to the conclusion a little bit too soon with with not enough setup and you get, go right. home and go oh, i need to I need to really think about that before I talk about that on stage in the future. And I'm not talking about anything. I'm not talking about you specifically, Dan. No, I just like it in general. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very, it's good, good in general. Yeah. So last night's audience for us was, oh, uh, Kathy Kennebrook was there. Yeah. yeah. She's a Dulcimer fan. And by the way, thank you, Kathy, for helping to promote that concert and there were probably people there because of her yeah because we did not promote it. we didn't do it yeah and laurie uh, oh yeah laurie and larry also, yeah uh, also brooke were there uh, thanks larry for the t-shirts he made yeah. the dulcimer geek t-shirts right <laughs> so did, can you name any other what we would call sorry folks but you're all dulcimer people <laughs> oh our friend uh janet from england oh that's yeah, right yeah. yeah he's down in uh comes to the Mount Dora Festival. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, this was not what... It wasn't a dulcimer unfriendly crowd, but there was no. no endearment automatically for the instruments. As a matter of <laughs> fact, the... Uh, yeah. They... <laughs> Steve, if you listen to this, I, I'm laughing a little bit, but he... They named our concert the Dynamic Dulcimer Jam. Or yeah. Something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was something. Or the dynamite dynamite dulcimer. duo jam yeah, or something like that. It was kind of yeah. silly, but it's okay. I get the allure of alliteration. <laughs> I really yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> but when you are watching back what you've done or thinking back, you know, and the tape's rolling in your head, uh, if you're too... This is... It's just hard to say this in a balanced way for me, maybe not for other people. Mm-hmm. You've got to be somewhat desirous of doing a good job or you probably wouldn't try to do it. And I recognize there are people who, whose whole persona is about, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not me. And 
I'm okay with that. I don't have to be that other person. But <laughs> I like the way Paul Simon says it in, uh, I forget which album it's off of, maybe Surprise or Hearts and Bones. It's got a song on there called Lorraine, and it's just a real sweet song about, you know, the relationship and, and you know, by the end of life of somebody in that. But he's talking about when he meets her, you know, and he introduced himself as Frank. He says, and with the part of me that talks, I introduce myself as Frank from New York, New York. <laughs> and I like that concept of the part of me that talks. Yeah. is just a small part of what it is I'm trying to do. And that yeah. part has its own paranoia. Right. And own affectations, you know, that when I watch that person and the part of him that talks, sometimes I think, you should not say that. <laughs> Yeah, uh, and so you're you're tweaking it all the time. You're trying to trying to make it be better, and then find out mm-hmm. what works. I guess that's just the nut of what what we're talking about. But not everything needs to be uh, part of your musical show. I can hear somebody. Uh, it would be justified for somebody saying, "Well, why don't you just get up and play?" Uh, which we did mostly, and there were many many songs last night that we didn't we didn't talk in between. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And do that on purpose. Huh. So really, we're up that many times it talks. And the promoter who does this all the time, the guy who runs the venue, says, you need, you need people want to hear your stories. You yeah. Know? And I think yeah. that's also a part of performing as well. And you can, there are better ways of doing that than others. So right. if that's, that's kind of what we're talking about now. And we aren't doing it just because we're doing a podcast. It's what we were talking about driving mm-hmm. home from the gig last night and before we decided oh we gotta go ahead and record a podcast yeah. this morning and that's all I got to say about that Yeah. alright so here's here's a fun story about last night um, I had kind of a I, what I hope for me is a rare uh, technical meltdown on stage um, in starting off this one piece uh, called Hurricane Song, which the the intro to that, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, is um, I'm doing a lot of uh, tremolo with the right hand and left hand pizzicato. Yeah, tremolo with the, the, the picking hand, left hand pizzicato, obviously with the left hand on a different string. And, um, and for me to actually pull that off, I have to be super loose. And there's... I know that... And anytime I've I've tried performing that in the past, I've just I've run that a whole bunch. Like just practice that before the show, so that when I get on stage, it's not a uh, uh, I'm nice and relaxed before and can execute it pretty may I, well. May I say something as a listener? Sure. So I was in another room when we were uh, at the at the apartment where we stayed, and in a room with the door closed. And I thought Aaron was playing my hammer dulcimer doing a roll. I thought that's really cool because he actually had a roll going and he had a melody that was going atop of it. So it was some sort of a thing. And I walked in and he was playing the mountain dulcimer so smoothly with this pizzicato tremolo happening. This is a beautiful thing. But that's not what happened last night. Yeah, that's not what happened on stage. And, you know, um, what I try and do as much as possible 
in performances is have a safety net um, so that I know if if like with this specific piece if this doesn't work out well um, what am I going to do and try and arrange a set as much as possible to put myself in the best place to succeed so how that relates to this epic meltdown there was a it wasn't really an epic yeah meltdown. you're exaggerating yeah a bit. yeah yeah for me if, of course on stage in the moment i'm i remember going you're gonna remember this for a long time after the show <laughs> but it it didn't really it, it was a teaching moment yeah exactly um like this is something you're gonna go home and work out uh so my plan the whole time was i was thinking okay uh I'm not practicing this as much as I probably should before the show, but I was thinking the first song, I was like, when it comes to my solo, I'm gonna do a whole bunch of flat picking, and I'm gonna work. I'm gonna work out a lot of right hand stuff just to get loose, loosened up. That solo never came, <laughs> and then for the next two songs, I'm doing nothing but backup. So the first mel- bit of melody work I did was this piece. All right, so let's song. back up and talk about that about that solo never happening that's my fault to a degree but kind of a miscommunication also between us because we didn't i thought you were talking about just this one two measure thing you were going to do a little fill in i was but i I didn't get that so i apologize i was talking about last time we played that together i actually soloed over so i was talking about the way we've actually played it in the past. Right, it's the song recently. Split Rail Fences yeah. that, that we were we decided yeah. to we decided to open the show with that. Yeah. Because it's a song yeah. that is kind of interesting to watch. Yeah. Uh but for the Hammer Dulcimer. For the Hammer Dulcimer. <laughs> and I just forgot that Aaron had done a longer thing in there and I think He's learning. Here's another teaching moment. He's learning that I don't remember things as well as he does. <laughs> and it maybe yeah. needs to be spelled out pretty clearly for me sometimes. And that's okay. And I think maybe you thought you had spelled that out. But I specifically thought you yeah. meant something else. And so. that, yeah, it's okay. That's no big That's no big deal. The, going back to the, the safety net thing yeah, yeah. was uh, I, I need to woodshed that to the point where I can do it. Regardless, yeah. yeah, that's the goal. Anyway, and that's one of the things you know. I've talked about this before with Patreon. One of the one of the really beautiful things about Patreon is that it keeps me working on new material. Not all that material turns into something that's performable, though. And so, I uh, after recording some of these. There are some that I get more attached to and go, okay, I want to, I want to actually be able to include that, not just on my next CD, but like when I perform, and keep that uh, under my fingers, so to speak. And the, uh, but they don't really. There's not a lot of time spent woodshedding them before they get recorded. Yeah. Um, and because of. I've had this attitude that um, everything I, I release on Patreon needs to challenge me in some way. There's a whole lot of stuff for me to watch at mm. uh, and practice, and it's not always obvious what it is I need to practice uh, until something like this happens last night, <laughs> and then I I have a new appreciation for I can't just do that cold yet, so. 
in some ways that's while it sucks like it's uncomfortable at first it's not a terrible tragedy no one was hurt by it yeah. but it's the <laughs> positive is that it, it does as a performer it points out to you like you need to work on this when you get home like in this scenario to be able to just launch into that so is it possible that this is a technique that you can't do unless you that you can't do cold ever and i'm asking that because i've experienced that myself uh, on a tour when i had the hardest thing i had to play the entire night was a solo that occurred during the first piece and uh the drummer and i he also had some pretty tough stuff in that first thing so we would spend 10 15 minutes before the show started doing like physical exercises some with a drum pad but I wanted to be sweating. You know that thing where a boxer boxes a speed ball? Yeah. That, or is it called speed ball? Not, uh, speed ball maybe. Speed bag? Speed bag, yeah. Uh, it's kind of, for me, the final thing that I always did was a motion like that. And I just did that until it was like sweat was coming out. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm warm enough now. Yeah. So I just wonder if, if you're maybe dealing with something like, because that's hard, man. You're just, you're moving yeah. fast. Well, I mean, that's part of it. Another thing is um, it drastically changes my attack from doing a lot of strummy stuff. So I have to get into it from a, I have to make sure that my flat picking feels good. You even hold the first. pick differently, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I might even revisit that um, after this. Uh, I know, like, me and Seifert have... have very different ways of using uh, trem- tremolo of uh, playing tremolo on the dulcimer Steve uses uh, a pick grip that's that looks more like his um, uh, his strumming pick grip and so when he does uh, tremolo he's the pick is looser in his hand and what that means is he's a uh, I think it sounds better if you're doing that over chords, but it also means that his hand has to travel pretty far and pretty fast, and it comes... There's a lot of wrist movement. I choke way up on the pick, and I have uh, um, very little pick showing. Uh, It's like sort of a relaxed fist. What that translates to is um, uh, my hand doesn't have to travel quite as far, but it doesn't sound as good when you're doing that over uh, chords. So I tend not to do that over like double stops or triple stop chords and just play single string. If I do chords, I'll use uh, a pick grip more like what Seifert uses, but that's not my default. Um, Would I be right in guessing that, and I know I could totally be wrong here, but are you use the muscle that's the motor for what you're doing? Is it, since it's your hand moving and that muscle's up in the forearm, is Steven maybe using more of his upper arm and you're using a different muscle group in the forearm? Just trying to wonder. I think we're using pretty much the same same group of muscles. Mine is more... uh, Watching you do it right now, your whole arm is twisting a little bit. Yeah. As opposed to moving from the elbow. Right. Which maybe that's well, what Steve... I'd like to see you guys side by side to see if the technique's yeah, so similar. Yeah. Steve's looks like this. 
Yeah, that's not really helping people on the podcast. Yes, yeah, I did not think that through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, it's um, for me, it's a little bit of wrist, a little bit of forearm twitch. Okay. Uh, with Steve's, I believe it's a lot of wrist and a little bit of forearm. Yeah, well, what you just did well. when you were talking just then, you, you made the uh, palm of the hand come off for Steve's at more of a right angle from your wrist. You know, not a total right angle, but more, yeah. more oblique. Than, and when you did yours, you had your hand almost straight out. Yeah. So maybe that's the difference. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, it, it ends up being a tonal difference, but it's also, um, uh, in terms of technical continuity, um, it's a... I think he has more continuity in, in his approach to holding the pick uh, than I do. This Because, well, as we've already established, like I hold the pick different for this technique sure. specifically. Yeah. Well, also, yeah. I noticed that when you, when you were having trouble with it last night, the first thing you did... You, know, you kind of stopped and you dried your hands off just a little bit. I did, yeah. My <laughs> hands were sweating pretty bad. And so, <laughs> yeah, that that also means that um, I'm going to have a little bit more of a unintentional death grip on the pick. Uh, Which probably makes I it harder. To. Yeah, that does. Well, it was hot. It's Florida. It was, <laughs> yeah. I've gotten so used to Signal Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a full house and the, you know, the yeah. doors were open, but yeah, it was humid. Yeah. You bet. Yeah, so, but back to your original question, is it possible that uh, doing this cold might be impossible? Um, Is that more or less what you said? Yep. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's absolutely possible. Um, But I, uh, I have a hard time accepting that without (laughs) trying it. Sure, yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, just keeping in, in line with what I've said and just how I tend to function when sculpting a set, what are my safety nets? Like, what can I do to put myself in the best position possible to succeed with exactly how I intend? But what can I do if everything, if this doesn't go the way I intend it to? Uh, does that make sense? Yep. Okay. Yep, yep. Cool. So... There's a couple more things I'd like to touch on before we wrap up, and I have no idea how long we've been talking because we have a long drive and <coughs> we're just driving. We passed White Springs a while ago. Did we really? Yeah. We're, are we in Georgia? Yeah, we are. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Okay, we're getting there. Um, let's see. Uh, we tried. <laughs> we tried to do something funny last night. When what was that? Well, so in figuring out what to play and trying to figure out, figure out how to end the show, um, you know, you want to involve the audience, and so it's Christmas time. So we stuck in a couple of Christmas tunes that people could sing along with, and then uh, decided to ramp it up just a little bit. So I. We were looking at all the different Christmas songs that we played. <clears throat> and I played uh, Joy to the World. Not that Jeremiah was a bullfrog one, but Joy to the World, which is just a diatonic scale working its way down. It's really cool. It's like a good power song, you know? It's got everything in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
thought it'd be more fun if we mashed that up with the other joy to the world, which is Jeremiah was a bullfrog. So in practice, it was really funny <laughs> to sing Jeremiah was a bullfrog. He was a good friend of mine. Right? Yeah. He had some mighty fine wine. <laughs> yeah. I never understood a single word he said. But he had some mighty fine wine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which seemed just incredibly hilarious to us when we were practicing. Maybe not the best idea to try that, you know, having only experienced the laughing part in the practice. But uh, we I, did it. I had a pretty good feeling that was going to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> I it just... did not fully fall apart. We had to kind of take a break in the middle of it. <laughs> it to, uh, we rebuilt it. Yeah. We, we rebuilt it, yeah. Because what we decided to do was take the chorus from Joy to the World, the Jeremiah was a bullfrog one, yeah, and put that on there, singing Joy to the World, and had to stop and kind of rebuild that. But everybody was singing. And then uh, the we both were like, wow, that was felt a little train wrecky to us. But we did it as an encore, and we'd even said, let's just do something fun. So that's yeah. okay. And uh, after the show was over, someone came up and said, hey, you guys must have spent a lot of time figuring out how to make that work. <laughs> I wonder if that sense of sarcasm was just so dry that, that I went, didn't get it. Yeah, <laughs> That's very possible. No, nope, yeah. he was serious. He just said, I just think that's amazing how... Oh, you guys, I just can't imagine how much time it takes to figure something like that out. I'm, and I'm thinking, a little more than we put into it, actually. I, thinking, yeah. I can't imagine how much thought you put into that. <laughs> uh, but, hey, that's yeah. half the fun. Yeah. Do you find that you make drastically different uh, set decisions when you bring CDs to sell? That was not smart on our, our part. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what, Aaron? From the... Uh, well, to, to finish his thought, neither one of us brought any product. I don't know what we're thinking. Uh, really well, busy before we got out of town. Here's and, the thing: I, I was really unclear about what we exactly what the scenario was going to be. That's once probably we got my fault. Down here, okay. Well, some gigs are just like that. You don't know what you're what you're driving to necessarily. You just know where the address is that you're going to roll up. Yes. Yeah. In my defense early on, I said, hey, I'm going to need you to be involved in this as much as possible because I'm yeah. in magazine deadline time. And I was happy yeah. to do that, but there was already a lot of communication before And some of it happened. took place over the phone. Oh, That's right. not good. Yeah. It all needs to be written down. Because I was searching my email yep. and text messages for... Yep, yep. Yeah. So, hey, I don't mind talking. Let's talk about uh, pay for this kind of gig because that's sort of what this podcast is about for people who are geeks and trying to do this. So this was a house that seats 100. The admission, I mean, the the ticket price was 12 in advance and 20 at the door. I think 12 in advance, 15 at the door. 15 at the door. Yeah. And 75% of the door... 70. 70%? Yeah, they do a 70-30. Okay, thank you. 70, yeah, 70-30. I remember that. So 70 goes to the musicians. So on a gig like this, with place of seats 100, we had about 80. Uh, 
and Aaron and I just split everything 50 50. Uh, what was the check for? It was like six seventy five. Six seventy five. So that means we made three hundred and thirty something dollars each, or something like that. That's that's a not a lot of money. I mean, yeah. you would not drive to Florida to do that. Well, the Celtic Christmas concert the day before was really our anchor gig. Yeah, that was our anchor gig, and yeah. you know, and that's a negotiated gig, and so we got paid better for that. And yeah. thank you for that. But you would also not turn down this gig. I wouldn't have turned down this gig if they had said, "Hey, we're going to." If it was me as a solo act, and they said, "We'll give you three hundred fifty dollars to do this show," I'd do it, you know, because I'm already there. Oh, if you're already there, yeah. yes. But I, I would not drive twelve hours. No, I wouldn't to, drive uh, to do it. Yeah, but there's more than just money for a gig like this. From the the people who you know run the venue said, "Hey, I think you're really going to like this, and I think they're going to like you." And we had a good sound check. Sound check was at like five thirty. He took his time. He, yeah. And we worked out all the kinks. We discovered that there's a probably a refrigeration unit in the building next door that yeah. hums at an F, F sharp. sharp. Right. <laughs> Which was also wasn't that the same frequency that uh, yep. the monitor was feeding back uh, in sound check at the church. Yep. For the, yeah. Which is really bizarre. Yeah. But. You know, but it is good to get those kinds of things to understand early on. Like, no, there's there's nothing they can do about that. That's not us. That's not them. Yep. And so you just have to take a breath and say that I acknowledge that exists, and mm-hmm. now I'm going to go on to something else. Uh, plus, for and again, this is dulcimer geeky stuff. Aaron and I have played together enough that. Uh, we, we know monitors are your enemy, not your friend, for the most part. Stage monitors. And I think people, there's a tendency for people to feel more confident when they can hear themselves coming out of the monitor. It just makes you sound worse in the house. There's, Almost all the time. Yeah, I think that depending on the setting, um, monitors can be helpful in, sure. in some some situations particularly when you're getting if it's a really odd room and you're getting a lot of slap back off yeah, the back slap, wall so it yeah. feels like you're getting this delayed attack monitors right. help you feel that initial attack much stronger yeah and so your timing isn't all over the place so to clarify where I'm coming from my default position is if it's possible to do it without monitors that's what I want to do yes yes and uh, where we were playing um they, I think they were really happy to hear that because they just had a band that throughout the night wanted more monitor, more more of me in the monitor, yeah. <laughs> and uh, to the point where the monitor was louder than the house, which it all often is because the stage will be in some kind of a little boxed area, and the sound that comes out of a boxed area when you face speakers back towards the box is not pleasant out front. Right, it's just weird. Yeah, and it's hard to control. So, uh, Aaron made a good call as we were trying to get our sound check, and neither one of us were quite happy with where it was coming out. Uh, he decided to move, physically move himself back about a foot, mm-hmm. changed everything. Oh, yeah. So, that's a big deal, too. And this didn't have to do with monitors. It had to do with proximity to the house speakers. Yeah. Uh, so, the house was bleeding into his microphone a little bit, and when he scooted back, it all got better. So... Anyway, getting all that done in the sound check, 
you know, and you're nervous about the show, you don't know if the audience is going to like you and everything, when you sit down and they're really quiet and you start playing and you, and you just hear, you know, you're playing with the person that you're confident playing with and you can just hear, just being able to hear and not have to play hard and realize right from the beginning, I'm going to get to relax and enjoy this. Yeah. You, we knew right then that, okay, this is going to be a good show. At least I did. I remember thinking. Oh, I was stressed out. Were you stressed? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really, I, I loved the atmosphere, but yeah. You know. I wasn't. I, actually, the. Uh, well, we should talk about that, too. There might have been another reason. But. What? <laughs> so we had a conversation. Can we talk about. Talk about libations and those sorts of things on this podcast? Oh yeah, I think so. I mean, we yeah. Last last time, me and Steve did talk about whiskey. To oh, some did you? Extent. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, neither one of us are heavy drinkers, so this isn't like we aren't that. But no, but Sarah Morgan did on this podcast say we need to have an intervention. Not because I drink too much, I just talk about whiskey. Talk about whiskey yeah. too much, yeah. I don't feel like I do. You're about to start doing it right now. <laughs> you, you know, okay. So tell us about tell us about the schools on Signal Mountain, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that I hurts almost, a little bit. Yeah. Ooh, that hurts a little bit. I did like, not mention that one time during the show last you, night. You know, when we were in Black Mountain and I, I finally met a, another single malt scotch buddy yeah. uh you're like and i'm so excited and you're like no stop talking stop <laughs> talking and i i remember making a mental note in my head like this is going to come back and bite dan one day <laughs> and i'm still saving it <laughs> oh no you've bitten a couple times too but no, that's okay no i but bring it up with sarah morgan there because she was there too yeah. so anyway i <laughs> asked aaron during the day and i'm going to mention things that i've never done but I was just saying, hey, what do you think about these, about preparing for a show as far as helping you relax or not relax, maybe be more focused? And, and I think I, I tossed out, what about, a co- what about a cup of coffee? Yeah. Or coffee versus alcohol. Coffee. <laughs> well, no, I said coffee versus alcohol versus something like marijuana versus, mm-hmm. you know, crazy things that people do. Yeah. How do you think that affects individual performers? and? Anyway, I, I, yeah. I thought your answer was spot on. Yeah, well, I don't have any experience uh, uh, with marijuana and performing high, mm-hmm. but um, nor do I. Uh, really? So the whole Yanni gig was sober. Oh yeah, you got fired <laughs> if you weren't sober on that. That's amazing! Wow. Yeah, on, on the last beat of the what was the name of the song? Down, 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 to down, down, to down, to last beat the drummer his tech handed him a scotch oh. <laughs> oh, wow wow True that's story. amazing every night wow yep could walk up and hand him a scotch because <laughs> he was allowed at that point amazing <laughs> well um i've never performed well after consuming caffeine like Shortly after consuming caffeine, um, I've performed a number of times with alcohol on stage, just like a small cup of, of whiskey that I'm just sipping throughout the entire performance. And it's been in a setting where other people have been seated at tables in a listening room and they've had they've had drinks in front of them as well. 
and I felt like that went great. Um, that uh, that I I feel like it did something to um, well one it, it just relaxed me a little bit um, without being drunk or anything like that. Oh, but yeah. it also kind of put me in the same setting that everyone else was in. Like, <laughs> did it, any point it did you like, go? Who likes beer? <laughs> No, because I don't like beer. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good. Who likes beer? I don't. I don't. <laughs> Me either. Uh. No, but I feel like it, it did something. Like, it felt like I was sitting at the table with them. And so uh, people were, were a lot more vocal. And, like, even though it was a listening room, people would just ask a question in between songs or respond to something that I said. Um, it was like they were we were all if there was a joke we were all in on the joke or uh if someone yeah. had a quick story they could they could contribute that and i would just like respond you know, really quick it, it was very conversational and it created a really cool atmosphere as a result so but, um but there was one time where i uh, i'd had several good experiences with this and go and i was going okay i'm i'm just going to re- try and recreate that after not eat after uh, not eating any dinner beforehand, and that was a little bit of a mistake. Not a good idea. No, no, no. I mean, fortunately, it was in a situation where I, I think everyone there was uh, pretty hammered and couldn't tell the difference. I hope, <laughs> but I knew. You know, I, I hear about musicians getting drunk and they think they're awesome. They think like. Because they're drunk, they have this mistaken belief that they're, what they're, they're playing is genius. I can't imagine what that feels like because I knew when I had had too much and I knew I was playing just crap. Yeah, <laughs> I could see that being part of somebody's shtick, you know, yeah. that they're the rebel and all that. But that's just not us. and it's no. not me. It's not you yeah. either. But I did. Last night, I, had, I decided I'm a little uptight. I think I'm getting better as I get older. But I felt good about the sound check and... But I had, I had about a half a beer, I like a I like a good dark, you know, like a Guinness or something like that. So, and I consumed the other half of it, you know, sitting there on the stool on stage, and that felt really good. And I finished the when we finished the first set, first forty five minutes, our British friend, what's her first name? Oh, uh, Janet. Janet or came Jeanette? up. And, Jeanette. She, yeah, no, I can't remember. Said, Could I buy you a beer? And I said sweet. yes, thank you. That was very nice. So I had a yeah. second beer during that. So that's the amount. But you know what? I think it helped. Yeah. I stayed really relaxed, and I, you know, I didn't. I wasn't. My performance wasn't perfect, mm-hmm. but it was comfortable, and I felt relaxed all night, and that was good. Yeah. So here's here's the flip side to that. Okay. Um, because I think we both have a healthy fear of addiction. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That uh, I'm afraid of having too many good performances. Uh, with the assist, I don't. I'm afraid of needing the assistance of anything. Uh, can we go Any into that substance. for just a minute? Yeah. Sometimes, the purpose of of uh, actual, you know, I just use the word drugs because that's what they all are, or even placebos, is to let people experience things and see that they can experience them. Uh, without extreme anxiety, and I think someone who is a addiction averse mm-hmm. 
might say exactly what you said, but also have learned that, hey, if I relax and have a good show, I can deal with my hand cramping up on me or not remembering how to put the lyrics of Jeremiah was a bullfrog together with Joy to the World. You know, because that's kind of a silly thing to try to do anyway. Or I hit a wrong note. Just go on. You know what it's like if you if you play a real clunker to have that derail you. Yeah. And kind of mess up the rest of the show, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I think that's sort of what happened. And... I want to give one more example of this whole thing about how getting started right matters. In the uh, Friday night Celtic Christmas thing, the first thing that we had to do was called The Awakening. And so (laughs) Steve had put together this program that was supposed to be about the dawn of time and thin places and, you know, just all this kind of Celtic lore mixed in with, uh, you know, early Christianity and Druids and just all this stuff. So it was, it was a real kind of spacey sort of concert. I've never done one like that, you know, in a church like that was cool. Steve did a great job, but he wanted the opening number for us. Matter of fact, we did a podcast where we wrote the piece. Yeah. Something about ethereal. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make something ethereal. So that was performed last night. But of course this time we had dancers and these, you know, beautiful young young girls in these flowing white dresses with these big orbs that at the end yeah you know, the orb goes floating up right right yeah yeah it was very cool but it involved it involved all those effects that we talked about on that thing so two points to that one again this is kind of geeky did not go well in the first two rehearsals yeah we were unhappy with the way it sounded never quite connected with the sound guy felt like he wasn't really prepared and so i was a little pushy that we all have to get there like middle of the afternoon on friday and redo this yeah Uh, and the guy agreed and came in and so we got all that fixed Mm -hmm. and during that first number it was the first time it had been completely dark you know, and the girls were there and they had on their costumes and all the lighting and everything was involved. There was a moment in that when I was first just kind of really focusing on what I'd practiced and how Aaron and I, you know, were going to make this thing happen. And I just threw all that out the window. And I think you did too. And I started watching them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Again, I'm so emotional. I'm almost teary now. Uh, From that second on, not only did they have us, we had them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It just kind of all pulled together, and we got to be a part of creating this this magic moment, you know, where the whole thing was big. And Steve even said the final note, the final ting at the very end, just hold that out and make, you know, extend the drama just a little bit. Uh, it was good. Yeah. And so... It's amazing how paying attention to that technical stuff at the right... If we had been worrying about technical at that moment, it's... Yeah, it just would have, I think, messed the whole night up for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, But it didn't. (laughs) Yeah. And it was cool. And I think it kind of brought everybody in. And there was one other magic moment that happened that night. Completely unable to plan this thing. Yeah. (laughs) So, can can I tell it? Yeah, go for it. So, Aaron... 
there's different places that Steve put in the show for us to do a solo piece. For Aaron to do, we did one together, and for Aaron to do a solo piece. This church has one of those super loud bell towers that surely they cut it off at midnight, but it goes off all day, you know. So it chimes. I don't know. It's the dun 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 dun, dun something like that, and then it chimes the number of of the hour. Yeah. So Aaron finishes. What piece did you play? It was just an improvisation. So Aaron does this improvisation. He finishes, and it was just it was beautiful and technical, and you really nailed that. Thanks. Very cool. And the audience was stunned and just huge applause. And just as the applause ends, the clock tower goes off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was as if it was planned, and it was 8 o'clock. Yeah. And I know exactly the moment that happened. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and everyone sat there in silence while this thing chimes eight times. And it was really cool. Steve yeah. dealt with it well. And then at the end, he says, Does anybody know what time it is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everybody got the time or something along those lines. So. Anyway. Yeah. It, it was kind of an interesting moment because Steve had a lot of. Uh, he had a lot of stress on his shoulders. Uh, oh, there was yeah. a, there was a lot of just so many moving parts. Uh, it, was big, to, it was a big production to this program, and he's managing personalities of a bunch of musicians with all of our quirks and figuring out based on rehearsals, like trying to anticipate mistakes and how to communicate that with the band and who's going to be listening for what and. Uh, well, and he had some people that were professionals, and he had some that weren't. Yeah. And those that and weren't. That, and that's usually yeah. the case yeah, yeah, in this exactly. setting. Like, there's nothing unusual about that. Uh, people in nerves, people yeah. nervous. Yeah, and so when the um, when the clock, t- <laughs> when the the bell starts starts chiming, and he had asked one of his uh, assistants <gasps> to, to turn, turn that off. off. That's and right. And at first, I was, I was wondering, like, with as much stress as we knew he had, how is he going to handle this? And I thought it was his, his. He timed it perfectly. The way he slowly turned around to the crowd, and I was going like, "Is he mad? Is he going to apologize? <laughs> What's going to happen?" Uh, it was just. It was yeah. a. It was a magic moment. I'm so glad it happened like it did because yeah. everybody clapped for the tower. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there were people there who thought it was all planned, and like these people have amazing timing. Yeah. So that was really good. All right, so the one last thing I want to bring up, and we should probably end this. Who okay. knows how long we've been talking. Uh, we were driving back from the show, from the Friday night thing, and talking about you know, kind of moving our, our thinking process towards the Saturday thing. And Aaron mentioned, uh, I don't know if it was a, 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 a video you saw of uh, Edgar Meyer and Bela Fleck on tour. And, yeah. and talking about, uh, you know, how they work together and it had, like, behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it was part of their Music Made for Two uh, live recording. There was a DVD that came with it. Okay. Which uh, was a video of a lot of concert footage from their tour where they, they recorded these tracks that ended up on the CD. But it also, uh, you got to see them rehearsing. And the dynamic between them uh, as they came off stage. Yeah. And the way they would pick apart the concert. Right. And some of the stuff you were telling me from them, I'm like, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, um, well, there, yeah, a few things. Uh, 
um, one, I think it starts off where they're, you see them on stage and they just seem like, I remember thinking at the time, like they, they're so locked in, but they're giving each other, you see up close the, the camera angle, they're giving each other some kind of weird looks. You see them looking back, uh, while they're playing and, um, they come off stage and, uh, they say, so, um, what happened in, you know, that one, <laughs> that one piece. And, um, Edgar Myers, like, I felt like you were, like you were dragging and Bela responds by going, Oh, well, I, I felt like you were really pulling ahead. And Edgar responds by going, well, I felt like everything I played had no effect on you whatsoever. Uh, like you were just weren't listening. And Bela's like, well, it just wasn't happening. <laughs> he's, he's a bit more <laughs> passive about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you see, you see Edgar Meyer have sort of a moment like I had where his hand just wouldn't cooperate with him and he's getting angry at the base. <laughs> and, uh, but you also you see them fall apart on stage trying to play this round in 15-8 that they really want to get on the album but they know they're trying to perform it before before, before they're it's ready. ready yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah one of the one of the best moments in that video was um, uh, after they it's one of those performances where they fall apart and they're on their tour bus and Bela says something like 30 minutes we've earned 30 minutes not talking about music not talking about the <laughs> concert not talking about that round just 30 minutes and 30 minutes later they're rehearsing that round <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which where life imitates art imitates life hearing them talk about 15-8 driving back from the concert last night or no Friday, Friday night we're like halfway back and have totally forgotten where the conversation was and we're practicing 15-8 in yeah. the car. <laughs> yeah. So we'll leave you with that. If you want to play, here's a way that you can do 15-8 that we're going to work on and you'll see a song eventually. It's Think about it this way. I mean, you could think of it many ways, but here's the way we're thinking about it right now, or at least I am. I don't know if you're totally down with this. So it's going to be 4, 4, and 7. So 8 plus 7 is 15. And the first four, you're going to put the emphasis on the heavy beats. So, one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. So emphasis on one and three. Yeah. One, two, three, four. And in the second four, you're going to put it on one, two, three, four. So now you've got one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. And now you're going to be to the seven. Then it's going to be one, two, one, two, one, two, three. So it's going to sound like... Um, can you hold the microphone for me so I can tap it out? That'd be best. Here you go. Here we go. So you've got. All right, there we go. So, for anybody who's interested in trying that, <clears throat> just write down one two three four one two three four one two one two one two three and then highlight one two three four one two three four one two one two one two three that gives you 15 8 now <clears throat> practice that i would say with the right hand if you're hammered elsmer player and with the left hand alternating and what you'll find is at the end of it the one starts on the opposite hand 
So that's kind. That's sort of where it gets difficult, especially if you're trying to tap your foot at the same time, mm-hmm. because everything switches. And this is that that brain dance kind of stuff that we've talked about before, where you try to get the rhythm to go across your body. If you want to try to make it easier so it stays in a right-hand lead, and I think this will probably apply to people picking as well. Uh, you can tell me if it does or not. Okay. You'd go, this is all with one hand now. Wait, she's telling us there's an accident, so sorry, I don't know if you heard that or not. It would be right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left. So that got us through the first eight. Now, right, right, left, left, right, left, left. So now you're back to the beginning. So right, left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, left, right, left, left, right, right, left, left. It's messed up right there, but you get the idea. So that's a way, if you're trying to drum this thing with one hand or, or do it alternating with two hands, you can keep it in a right-hand lead. If you're left-hand lead, you can reverse it. So I wanted to mention that for two things because that's how the conversation goes uh, for us, and that's how new music gets born, even when you're driving in the car and you're picking apart a concert. But second, if you're traveling, if you're driving and you start to get sleepy, this may not work for other people. But if I start to tap out polyrhythms on my steering wheel, I'm instantly awake. I'm, really? I'm never sleepy when I'm working on a polyrhythm. It takes too many brain cells for me. Hmm. And that's all I have to say about that. I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted us to actually write something quickly to play in 15.8 for Saturday night's show, but Aaron's smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> we shouldn't. Like, well, was the material we had available flawless <laughs> already? No. Yeah. Smart Alec. I was thinking we could dedicate that time we were going to use to fif- to write the fifteen eight piece to actually really, practice to really lock in the uh, jingle bells or not jingle bells. Joy to the world. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah was a bullfrog, and maybe me practice some uh, right hand tremolo around the edges if I could. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> You know, we picked out more songs than we actually played. Yeah. We, and we practiced things that we didn't play. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Part of it is just seeing that you can you can do this. All right. For those of you who have endured this podcast, you deserve some kind of a prize. Oh, don't say that. Well, we've been talking. I bet we've been talking for six hours. <laughs> Let's see. We left at 545. It's called hyperbole. It was hyperbole. That's called condescending. (laughs) (laughs) That's when you talk down to people. Oh, thanks. (laughs) I didn't know that.